0: Well, listen, for any of us in the room who are old enough to look back over the course of our lives and to think about kind of the journey that we've taken and the seasons through which we've lived and the places that life has carried us. And if we have enough character to really care about that journey, then we have contemplated the kinds of things that I'm going to share with you over the next few minutes, the questions that I'm going to mention are questions that all of us have asked. They are contemplations that all of us have had. Maybe you have said something or thought something like this. You've thought, you know, I really thought that by now my life would be different than it is. I really did. I I really thought that I would be in a different place in life by this point than I am now. Maybe you're single, and you thought you're thinking, you know, I really thought I would be married by now, and that hasn't happened yet. Or maybe you're single again, and you thought, you know, I really thought that that when we said we do, it was forever, and yet life has taken a turn that I didn't expect. We, we've all thought things like that about various circumstances in life. Maybe you've said, you know. If I had done things differently back there, you know, my life would look different now. If I'd made some different decisions at that point in my life, then maybe things would be better than they are. Maybe you've just said with a lot of joy, you know, God, God has been so good to me. I mean, I, I, I don't even know how I got here. God has just blessed me so much, and I don't even know how it happened. All of us probably have said this, you know, the one big regret in my life is, and then you just kind of fill in the blank, right? Because we've all got them. The one big regret in my life is this. Or perhaps you've said, I just, I, I just never thought, I never dreamed that this is what my life would be. I never dreamed that this is where I would, would end up. You know, my dreams, my goals, my ambitions Uh, my, my pathway, they were all different than this. And I just never dreamed that my life would be like it is. And it really is true that this is the nature of life, living life in a fallen and a broken and an uncertain world, that life takes us on a journey that sometimes lands us in places that we didn't really expect to be. And sometimes those places are pleasant, wonderful places and they're filled with all kinds of blessing and joy and and sometimes even uh, a a place where we're finding great prosperity. Sometimes that's our place in life. And other times not so much, right? I mean, sometimes our place in life is a low place and it's a place that's marked with um, regret and pain and disappointment And maybe loss or grief or loneliness. This is the way it is for all of us. And it's not unique to us. This is also the way that it was for Joseph, whom we've been studying over the last four months. Like Joseph, all of us experience good days and bad days. High places and low places. Over the last 4 weeks we've been going with Joseph through what really has been a roller coaster kind of an experience of life. We we began studying Joseph's life when he was at home with his mother and his father. He was the beloved son and so he was he was in a good place, a happy place, a secure place with his parents. And then one day, as you know, when he was 17 years old, life changed completely and his brothers threw him into a pit. And he went from being in his parents' home to being in a pit in the desert. He was drawn up out of the pit. It was as if he went from the frying pan into the fire because he didn't come out of the pit to go back to his parents' home. He, went, he came out of the pit to go down to Egypt where he was sold into Potiphar's house as a slave. It seemed as if he was prospering in Potiphar's house and excelling and doing well until one day all of that changed and he was cast into prison. From his parents' house to the the pit, out of the pit, into Potiphar's house, from Potiphar's house into the prison. And Today, in our text, we're going to see Joseph's life go to a different place again. That is that today he's going to the palace. In fact, I want you to write that down just sort of as a, as, an out, uh, as our outset. what we 're going to talk about today is trusting God with your place in life, whether it 's the pit or the palace, the prison or the palace, that we are trusting God with our place in life. Last week, we ended the text in Genesis chapter number thirty nine with Joseph being put in the jail house, being sent to prison because of the false accusations. Of Potiphar's wife. Today we're gonna to pick up the text right there and continue on. So you follow along as I read, beginning in chapter 39 and verse number 20, please. Genesis 39 and verse 20. The Bible says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, into a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And so he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the, the, all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatever they did, Joseph was the manager of it. He was the, the, the trusted inmate in the prison. Verse 23 says, The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with Joseph. And that which Joseph did, the Lord made it to prosper. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Now, by the way, I should stop and just note that in chapter 40, verse 1, Pharaoh begins to take center stage in the narrative of Joseph's life. We really haven't seen Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, up until this point. But he's going to become very prominent in the, in the narrative now beginning in chapter number 40. He's offended by, he's, uh, he's disappointed in or angry with his uh, butler and his baker. So verse number two says, And Pharaoh was angry against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard. He put them into the prison, into the place where Joseph was bound. Now, skip with me, if you will, over to chapter number 41 and look at verse number four. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 14. Chapter 41 and verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself, and he changed his clothes, and he came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream. And there is no one that can interpret my dream. And I've heard of you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. And Joseph answered and said to Pharaoh, it is not in me, God shall give Pharaoh the answer of peace. Now I wanna stop right there for just a second, not really the point of the message, but I I want you to see something really important here. Can you imagine the humility for Joseph At 30 years old, to stand in front of the king of Egypt, essentially the king of the world at that point, to stand before the king of this great empire and say to him, it's not me, it's God. I'm not going to give you the answer. God is going to give you the answer. In fact, I want you to take your pen, and if you would, in that verse, would you circle this phrase, it is not in me. Verse 16, it is not in me. Here's what I want you to learn. Would you learn this phrase for your life? Will you learn to say, it's not me, it's God? Anytime someone says, hey, you did that well, it's not me, it's the grace of God. Hey, you were an encouragement to me, it's not me, it's the Lord Jesus. Hey, you know what, when you do that, I really appreciate, you know what, I'll take the encouragement and pass the glory on to him because it is not in me. And if you and I can learn this as followers of Jesus, it will be a really important principle for success in our walk with the Lord. Learn to say, it is not me, it is God. Well, verse number 17 says that Pharaoh said unto Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. That's the Nile River. And behold, there came up out of the river seven kine or cows, these are cows, seven cows which were fat-fleshed and well-favored. Everybody knows you want your cows to be fat. And these were seven fat cows, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven more cows came up after them, and they were poor cows. They were very ill-favored and lean-fleshed. They were skinny cows. In fact, these were the skinniest cows I'd ever seen, uh, such as I'd never seen in all the land of Egypt for badness. Verse 20 says, and the lean and ill-favored cows did turn and eat all the fat or the first seven or the fat cows. And when the skinny cows ate the fat cows, you couldn't even tell that they had eaten them, verse 21 says, because they were still skinny. They were still ill-favored as at the beginning. Verse 21 says, so I awoke. Look up here. You ever, dream- ever have a dream like that? <laughs> I mean, not exactly that, maybe, but you ever have a dream where you wake up and go, whoa, what was that? It's what Joseph, or what Pharaoh did, I think. He woke, rolled over, and went back to sleep, has a second dream. I had a second dream, and I saw in my dream, and behold, there were seven ears that came up on one stalk. A stalk of corn or a stalk of grain had seven full ears. They were full and fat and good ears of corn or grain. And then there were seven other ears that came up on a stalk. They were withered and thin and burned up or blighted or blasted with the east wind. They sprung up after them. And the thin ears, just like the cows, turned on the good ears and ate them up, devoured them. And I told this dream to my magicians, my counselors, but there was none that could explain it or declare it or interpret it to me. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream that Pharaoh has had is one. Both dreams mean the same thing. And God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. This is the same dream. And the seven thin and ill-favored cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears, which are blasted or burned up with the east wind, those are seven years. And these are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he is showing unto Pharaoh. Behold, there's coming seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after those seven years, seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine shall consume the land. And the plenteous years shall not be known in the land because of the famine which will follow. Because it will be grievous. And For the dream that was doubled unto Pharaoh twice, you've seen this twice, seven cows, seven uh, ears... You've seen it twice because this thing is established by God and he will shortly bring it to pass. Now the interpretation of the dream ends in verse 32 and in verse 33, Joseph begins to give Pharaoh advice. Verse 33, now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man. Go find a man who is discreet and understanding and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh do this. Let him appoint officers over the land. And, he should, and Pharaoh, you should take up a fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years and let them gather all of that food of those good years and bring all of that food and bring up the corn and lay it under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep the food in the cities. And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years, the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish Through the famine. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. And so Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a man as this man in whom the Spirit of God is? Pharaoh said to Joseph, For as much as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discreet or understanding and wise as you are. You shall be over all of my house, and according to your word shall all my people. Be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have set you, I have made you ruler over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, put it on Joseph's hand. He dressed him in vestures of fine linen, royal robes. He put a gold chain about his neck. He made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before Joseph, crying out to everyone, bow the knee unto Joseph, and Pharaoh made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now I want you to turn back one page, and I want you to go to chapter 39, verse number 20, and I want you to take your pen, if you will, and circle the word place. Place. In verse number 20 of chapter 39, and Joseph's master took him to a prison and put him in a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And then go to chapter 40 and verse 3, you'll see the same word, Joseph was in this place, the place where Joseph was bound. And then I want you to go to chapter 41, verse 43, the last verse that we read. And out of the margin somewhere, I just want you to write this notation, Joseph's new place. Joseph's new place. And the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to notice in our text today that Joseph in chapter 39 and 40 is in one place. And in chapter 41, Joseph is in a totally different place. He moves from one place to another place. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different today because the text that is under our consideration is so large, and I didn't even read all of it, and I read to you more verses than we typically do on a Sunday. So since our text is so large... We're going to approach it differently than we normally would. You know that our habit is to study a small portion of Scripture and to dive into it deep, to dig down into it, and to mine the truths out of it. But this is too big of a passage to do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull back. So rather than diving deep, we're going to pull back. We're going to sort of take a 30,000-foot view of this passage and understand, we're going to survey these circumstances arising in Joseph's life. And then once we understand them, then at the end, I'll give you a few important principles to apply to our life. If you're okay with doing the message a little different today, would you shout amen? Amen. Thanks for saying amen. It's gonna take an hour and 45 minutes, but don't worry about it. No, I'm just kidding, I'm joking. So here's what I want us to do. Let's survey through this passage by beginning to talk about Joseph's time In prison. Last week we saw Joseph as he was committed into the prison because of the lies, the false accusations of Potiphar's wife. Immediately upon getting into the prison, Joseph does what he did in Potiphar's house. That is that he just excels. And he excels because the Lord is with him, and the Lord has given him great leadership ability. And so he just begins to rise to the top, and he becomes a person who's trusted very quickly. He begins to take managerial roles in the prison. He's the trusted inmate, and he's managing the the activities of all of the prisoners, and it's not long, we don't know exactly how long, but at some point after Joseph is in the prison, then two others come into the ward where he is. Chapter 40, verses 1 through 3 tell us that Pharaoh is angry with two of his officers. Now one is called the chief butler. That would be his uh, cupbearer. So he's the one that serves, that secures, that protects and serves Pharaoh his wine. This would be like uh, Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah, who was the king's cupbearer. And the second officer that Pharaoh was upset with was his chief baker. And so he had his own butler who would bring him his wine. He had his own baker who would bring him all of his baked goods. I mean, Pharaoh had it made, right? And he's now angry at both the butler and the baker. And so he throws both of them into prison. The Bible tells us in chapter 40, verse 1 through 3, that they end up in the same place where Joseph is. And both of them, the butler and the baker, both have prophetic dreams on the same night. And In fact, in chapter 40, in verse number 8, Joseph says to them, God is the interpreter of dreams. Tell me your dream, and God will interpret it. And so they do. They, they explain their dreams Joseph, beginning in verse number ten of chapter forty, the butler or the cupbearer uh, tells Joseph his dream. Essentially, he says, "I had a dream of this vineyard or this this uh, grapevine. It had three branches, and each of the branches was full of plump, beautiful, ripe grapes." And I dreamed that I gathered the juice from those grapes and I made the wine, and my cup or the king's cup was in my hand, and I was back before Pharaoh again, doing my job again, serving him his wine. I dreamed I had been restored to my place. That's a logical dream for him to have, right? Because that's what he knows, that's what he's done. So he's dreaming about uh, serving Pharaoh wine. Well, the Bible says that Joseph interprets. His dream to him, he says in verse number 12 and 13, your dream is that the three branches are three days and in three days, you're gonna be reinstated. You're gonna be right there serving Pharaoh his wine again. And he's like, yeah, that's awesome. Only three days here in jail. Well, then the baker, hearing that interpretation, says, well, I had a dream too. Maybe my dream means good news As well, so beginning in verse sixteen, he tells Joseph his dream. Now he's the baker, so he doesn't dream about wine. He dreams about what baked goods, right? So in his dream, he says, "I have three white baskets on my head. I'm carrying these baskets on my head. By the way, not an unusual way to carry a load in that culture. He's carrying three baskets on his head, and each of those baskets are baked goods, and in the top." basket are all of these exposed baked goods. Now, we don't know what they are. I don't know. What do you think? Muffins? There were muffins in there maybe and croissants and uh, homemade apple pies. And somebody said, amen, that would be good. I don't know what all was there, but baked goods. And in his dream, he's carrying these to Pharaoh and the birds are coming and they're eating all of the baked goods out of that upper basket. And he can't get the goods to Pharaoh. He says, what did my dream mean? Joseph interprets it for him in verses 18 and 19. He says, your dream means the three baskets are three days, and on the third day, it's off with your head and you're going to be hanged. That's the news for the baker. And so, Joseph interprets both of these dreams, and it comes to pass exactly as he predicted that it would. The butler is restored, the baker is executed, the Bible says. But I want to take you to chapter 40. Look at verse number 14 and 15. When Joseph gives the good news to the butler that he's going to be reinstated, listen to what he goes on to say in verse number 14. He says, But think on me when it shall be well with you, and show kindness to me, I pray, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house." For I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews and here I have done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. So the moment that he realizes this butler is gonna go back in front of Pharaoh, he says, hey, 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 don't forget me. Tell Pharaoh about me. Plead my case before Pharaoh. I don't deserve to be here. I'm just a Hebrew boy. I got sold into slavery here. I haven't done what they've accused me of. Would you tell Pharaoh? Pharaoh that he needs to get me out of here. And don't you know that the butler's like, yeah, man, you got it. I love you, bro. I'm here for you. And he goes back to, but, to uh, his butlership. Now, don't you know that that night as the sun set and Joseph lay down on his cot in the prison, he was thinking, this is my last night in jail. I'm getting out of here in the morning. I'm going free tomorrow. And tomorrow came and went nothing. The next day came and went, nothing. Days turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. Months turned into years. Two years passed and there's nothing from the butler and nothing from Pharaoh. Now you imagine the disappointment in that place? Can you imagine what a low place that was for Joseph when he suddenly, his only hope of getting out of this prison has now vanished until chapter 41 and verse 41. Will you say this word with me out loud like you're excited about the word until? Say it, until. Do it one more time. Until, are you glad for the untills in your life? Amen? Praise God for the untills. He's discouraged until. Something begins to stir. Something begins to happen in chapter 41 and verse number one, and that is that Pharaoh dreamed a dream. Two dreams, in fact, that meant the same thing. Seven cows come up out of the Nile, begin to feed in a meadow. Fat, healthy cows. Seven skinny and ill-favored cows come up. It's kind of a grotesque dream if you think about it. These skinny, ugly cows turn on the healthy cows and eat them up. And once they've been devoured, these skinny cows look no more full than they did. Seven ears full, seven ears uh, ill-favored and empty. Those seven ears turn and eat up the seven full ears. Pharaoh wakes up, thinks, what could this mean? Calls his magicians, verse number eight. None of his counselors can tell him. And finally, in chapter 41, verse number nine, welcome back to reality, the chief butler remembers Joseph. Finally, when Pharaoh has a dream and nobody can interpret his dream, verse number nine says, that the chief butler said unto Pharaoh, I do remember my faults. They say, oh man, I meant to tell you when you put the baker and myself in prison, we dreamed and there was this guy, he's a Hebrew guy down there and and he has the power to reveal or interpret dreams and we told him our dream and he interpreted it and it, it came to pass just as he said. Better late than never, amen? And you know what Pharaoh said? Send for him, get him, bring him up here. And finally, Joseph hears footsteps running and they open the door and they say, Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. And Joseph did what every wise person in that, in, in that kind of situation would do. Look at it, chapter 41, verse number, uh, I lost it, I don't know where it is. Anyway, let me tell you what he did. It says that Pharaoh called for him and he changed his clothes. You with me? He shaved his face and he looked like somebody when he went in to see Pharaoh. All right, so I'm going to stop the message for a minute and give you some advice. When you get an opportunity, clean up. (laughs) Amen? Every father in the room raising uh, teenage boys ought to say amen. When you get a job interview, shave your face, dress yourself. Pull your pants up <laughs> and look like somebody. Joseph went in before Pharaoh, looking like somebody. Well, Joseph listens as Pharaoh interprets his dream. His uh, or Pharaoh tells him about his dreams, and beginning in verse number twenty-five, Joseph begins to interpret. Verse twenty-five: Joseph said to Pharaoh, "The dream of Pharaoh is one. You've had two dreams that mean the same thing." Look at verse 25, God has showed you what he's about to do. Look at verse 28, he says the same thing. This thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh is this, what God is about to do, he is showing to Pharaoh. Look at verse number 32. He says to him in verse number 32, again, God is showing you what he is about to do. Would you agree with me? This is great grace, isn't it? That God warns us by his grace. He warns us of judgment that is to come. He warns us about his return. He warns us about an eternity without him. He has under no obligation to warn us of anything and to leave us alone in our rebellion. But he continues to show us warnings to call us and draw us to himself. Don't resist that warning of grace that God has given you. Well, he says God is showing you about What he's about to do. And then, of course, Joseph goes on to describe what is gonna happen. Seven good years, seven plenteous years in the harvest, followed by seven years of absolute famine. And if, if you don't do something, Pharaoh, then Egypt will die in that famine. And amazingly, it's so amazing to me that in verse number 33, Joseph finishes the interpretation and he begins to give Pharaoh advice. Pharaoh didn't ask for advice. He just said, tell me what the dream means. And to think about a 30-year-old Hebrew young man standing in the court, in the office of the king of the world, and he starts to give him advice. The Pharaohs were considered to be gods, and this young man says, I'm going to tell you what you need to do, Pharaoh. Pharaoh. He says, you need to find the right man, verse 33, find the right man, a man full of understanding and wisdom and give him a team of men and let them go throughout the land. And he said, you need to impose a 20% tax on all of your citizens for the, I'm thinking he wasn't very popular with the populace. He says, put a 20% tax on all of your citizens for the next seven years and you gather up one fifth of all of the grain that is grown in Egypt. And you store it up, and you store it so that when those seven lean years, years of famine come, you will have plenty. Joseph makes this recommendation, and Pharaoh says, who could be better at this job than you? You're the one with understanding. You're the one with wisdom. You're the one that gets it. You lead the way. And so he makes Joseph the... Uh, He promotes Joseph to be the second in command in all of Egypt. In fact, verse forty it says he gives him great authority. Verse forty-two he gives him great power, puts a signet ring on his hand. In verse forty-two he dresses him in the royal regalia, the royal robes of the of the uh, the dynasty, gives him great prestige. And verse number forty-three is such a humorous verse to me, not because it's funny. Verse number 43, he made him to ride in his second chariot that he had. And they went before Joseph crying out, Hail Joseph, kneel before Joseph. You know why I think that's funny? Because I just envisioned Mrs. Potiphar. Are you with me? And she's standing there, you know, hanging out her laundry. And Joseph comes, bow before the second in command. And she looks and as she bows, she goes, I love And by the way, Potiphar as well had to bow before Joseph. Here's what I want you to know. The Bible ends, the text that we read ends in verse number 43 when it says, And so Pharaoh made him ruler over all of Egypt. Here's what I want you to know. Joseph woke up in one place that morning. And he went to bed in a completely different place. So what can we learn? Let me give some principles real quickly. Write them down. Number one, I want you to know that God is sovereign over the seasons of life. God is sovereign over the seasons of our lives. You know, seasons and places are the same, really. When we talk about being in a particular place, we're not talking about geographical place. We're talking about a a circumstantial place. And we are in those places for seasons. And seasons are never permanent, Seasons are passing. We don't stay in a season. We move through a season. And in the same way, we come to a place in life, and eventually that place, something will occur, and that place will change. It's true of this, these seasons and these places through which we live. They are under the sovereign control of God. I mentioned to you that... Joseph interpreted the butler's dream, sent him out, said, tell Pharaoh about me, and expected, I'm sure, to be delivered from the prison within a a mere days. And yet it took two full years. And it wasn't until Pharaoh dreamed a dream that the butler's memory was jogged that Joseph can interpret dreams. And he told Pharaoh about Joseph. Well, here's the question. Why did Pharaoh have to wait two years to dream the dream? Listen to me, God could have given Pharaoh that dream the very night the butler got home. He could have had that dream two days later, a week later, six months later. Why did it take two years for that dream to come and Joseph to finally be brought out of the prison to a different place? Well, the truth is we don't know for sure, but here's what we do know. We know that God was doing something. God is sovereign over the seasons of our lives, and so he was working something in Joseph that needed to be perfected and matured before he was ready to step into the next place. Maybe he was doing something in Egypt that needed to be finished, or maybe God was working something in Pharaoh's heart, but we know that God sovereignly operates over our lives and he will bring us into the next place when the time is right. We know that God is sovereign over the seasons, the places of our lives. The second thing I want you to write down is that we know that God uses our past places to prepare us for our next place. God uses our past places to prepare us for our next place. Let me ask you a question. Are you in a place right now, today, that's a low place, that's a painful place, that's a disappointing place, that's a discouraging place? Are you in a place where you're grieving and you're, you're hurting? Listen to me carefully. Let me ask you another question. Are there painful places in your past? When you look over the course of your life, do you have painful Memories from circumstances that were difficult or hard or maybe downright terrible. Here's what you should know: those times, those places, those seasons were not for nothing, and that God is using what you have experienced in the past places to prepare you where you are now for where you are now and where He will take you in the future. God used Joseph's time in Potiphar's house and Joseph's time in the prison to prepare him for the palace. One of the things that we know was happening in Joseph during his time in the prison is that he was being tested. The Bible tells us that Joseph was tested in the prison. In fact, listen to it. Psalm 105, verse number 18 and 19 says, Joseph's feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he, God had said, uh, would come to pass. The word of the Lord was testing him. What word had God spoken? God had spoken to Joseph in a dream, chapter 37, verse 5, that he would rise to great prominence and that people, nations, would bow down before him. But while he's languishing in the prison... That seems like the furthest thing from reality. And so the Bible says that in that time in the prison, God was stretching and strengthening and testing Joseph's faith until the time that that became the reality, until that thing came true. He was testing his faith. You know, The Bible says that God does this for us sometimes as well. First Peter chapter three says that we have a hope of heaven. We have a promise of a future place in heaven, And we rejoice in that. But now we can go through low places. We can be in seasons that are difficult. But Peter says to us, remember, the low places are God's strengthening and refining and testing of your faith. Joseph was tested in the prison. Secondly, Joseph was learning in Potiphar's house. And Joseph was learning in prison. You remember the advice that he gave to Potiphar? I'm sorry, to Pharaoh? To Pharaoh? In chapter 41, find the right man, give him the right team, turn him loose on the nation, bring this taxation, gather the things, store the things, manage the resources, and you'll be okay. Where did Joseph learn all that? He was a 17-year-old boy sold into slavery. How does he have such great managerial skills? How does he have such great project management abilities? Well, he learned it. Where did he learn it? He learned it as a servant in Potiphar's house, managing Potiphar's household. He learned it as an inmate, managing the other inmates. God was teaching him. And here's what you should know. God does the same thing in your life and mine. That he uses these experiences in these low places in our past to teach us what he wants us to learn. Now listen to me. If y'all are listening, I want you to shout amen. amen. Listen carefully. There are some things that you can never learn unless you walk through them. There are some things that God needs to teach us to prepare us for the next place in our life that we're not gonna learn by listening to a blog or or by reading it in a book. He's gotta take us through some experiences, through some seasons, through some low places so that we can learn about him what we need to learn and then move on to the next place that he has for us. God uses our past places to prepare us for future places. And you ought to ask him if you're in some pain and you're hurting. Lord, what do you want me to learn in this? Teach me. I have a heart to hear. Number three, waiting doesn't mean we're not working. Waiting doesn't mean that we're not working. When we're in a low place, we're in a place that's unpleasant, that's sorrowful. We just have to wait there. We can't control our circumstances, uh, usually. And so we just have to wait there. And waiting is hard. We live in an instant gratification world. We do. We want it now. I mean, we want, we want our microwave ovens to give us hot, fresh meals now. And we want God to have a Holy Ghost microwave where I pop in my frozen desires. And I want to push a button, say a prayer, and in a few minutes it's going to open up and everything's going to be worked out. And it's not the way it works. And so we have to wait. And waiting is hard. But listen, waiting doesn't mean that we're not doing what we ought to be doing. Waiting on God doesn't mean we're not working as well. I love this. The Bible tells us in chapter 40 verses 14 and 15 that while Joseph is waiting in the prison... The moment he sees an opportunity that the butler is going to be back with Pharaoh, he says, now don't forget me. Tell Pharaoh about me. Plead my case. He's making a case for himself. So as we wait, we do what we should be doing. We do our working. And then finally and lastly, it is that God has promised us a better place. And I just want to end with this. And I want you to think with me through this very thoroughly. And, it, and listen, if you aren't sure that heaven is your home, if you don't know for absolute certain that if you died right now, that you're going to go to heaven, I want you to hear, hear me. God has promised a better place for us. Now for Joseph, it was a palace. And, and God had, had promised him that he was going to rise to this place of authority and, and power. But God's made much better promises to me and you than he had to Joseph in that regard. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus talked about the place. Can I read it to you? You don't have to turn. I'll turn to the New Testament and read it to you from John chapter number 14. Listen, John 14 verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Jesus says, Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. Now the word mansions means places, dwelling places. In my Father's house there are many places. Listen to verse number three. I go, verse two, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you unto myself so that where I am there you can be in your place. Now for some of us in this room, the only place we've ever considered is planet Earth. It is. For us, life has always been about this place. I want to make this place better. I want to do as good as I can in this place. I want to achieve in this place. I want to succeed in this place. I want to be the right kind of person in this place. It's all about this place. And we've given little to no thought of that place, of the eternal place. And Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you in heaven. And maybe you're sitting in this room today And going through what you're going through, perhaps, and experiencing what you're experiencing and thinking about the things you're thinking about because God has put you in a place where you can consider that place. And I want you to know that when Jesus says, I've gone to prepare a place for you, he can do it because he has done the only thing that could make that place available. The Bible says, if y'all are listening, say amen. amen. He left his place in heaven. And he came to the lowest place. The place of our sin. Dying for our sin. Paying our eternal punishment. He came to the lowest place. And then he was buried. And he raised was raised from the dead. And ascended back to the Father. And Paul says in Philippians that God gave him a name which is above every name. He's exalted him to the highest place. So that one day you and I could go to that place that he has prepared. If you died today, where's your place? In heaven with Jesus or separate from God in hell? My prayer is that whatever place you're in today, God has put you there to get you to think about the other place.